James Lapine sat down with moderator Susan Einhorn for a one-on-one -on -one interview in March of 1985. I'm Hope Clark, a member of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and this is Masters of the Stage. This program is produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theater Wing. This is James Lapine, and I'm Susan Einhorn, and the subject today is uh, keeping shows in shape once they've been running for a long time. So first, tell us, if you remember, um, the running times of, you've had such wonderful successes. Table settings ran for... Um, about uh, close to a year, not quite a year. I'd right. say maybe about uh, 11 months, 10 months. And that was your first? That was the You first. wrote that too? Right. Did you go through a change of cast? You did go in it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Falsettos ran for a long time also. Falsettos ran about a March year. March And then year. we did it in California as well, where it ran not very long at all, a month. Mm -hmm. And 12 Dreams had a limited run at the yeah. public. That was a little different. Right. And, of course, Sunday in the Park is still running strong. Right. And it's almost a year. May right. will be a year. Well, right. Right. Did I leave anything out? Midsummer was also a limited yeah, run. Limited. It's a lot of long runs. Um, is there a difference, did you find, between the, the musical and the non-musical long runs in terms of your having to go back and rework or put new people in? Uh, uh, you mean, well, you know, if, if you know Off-Broadway, these people are on such short-term contracts, so obviously when you do an Off-Broadway show, you're putting a lot of people in a lot more often. Um, Although, having said that, the Broadway company of Sunday is on the same kind of contract for a week out, so, for the most part. Um, no, I, I would say there's been no... Uh, usually depends on how the theater season is going. If it's a good season, there's a lot of things happening. People leave because they have other things to go to. When it's a quiet season, there's less for people to be, uh, to be taken. No, what I meant was, oh. as a director, when you go back, right. I mean, not, not in terms of putting new people in, oh, okay. but in terms of just keeping it in shape. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Is there a difference between, did you find a difference between, or but now that you think of it, is there a difference between... Well, I find that keeping it in shape yeah. is generally uh, sort of proportional to the number of changes that you make. So, you know, as the original members of a company start to leave, the more work you tend to have to do to keep the level of the show up. So... Um, you know, that seems to be a big factor, I find, in shows that uh, they tend to get better after they open. And I'd say two to, after about the two-month mark after you open, in my money, uh, for my money, a show gets really good because the pressure of previews and critics is over with. The, you know, the fate of the show has been determined. Um, people get more and more into their roles and comfortable with them. And also, there's more generally a more cohesive, uh, you know. I mean, actors take over when you leave, right? So the show opens, and it's really their show because they're there every night. Um, I find after around that two-month mark, then things get a little out of control because people start to get bored, or they start really getting into making choices. And the next thing you know, you know, it's not quite what you had in mind when you come back. So, um, but I think each of the shows I've done has been um, really different, you know. Uh, 
you get, and most of the things I've done have had uh, been sort of light, so you get all the laughs by about the second month, you know. I mean, it's just sort of, everybody sort of found just the way to make things turn. When we opened Sunday, I mean, we put the last song in two days before the critics came, so it was really about, so much of that show was just settling into its rhythm a month or two later. You mentioned laughs. Did you ever find you come back and there are a lot of new laughs? So oh, which yeah. you don't necessarily want? Oh, yeah, definitely. Then do you, what have you done about it? Also, the old laugh problem, where you used to get a laugh, you don't get a laugh right. anymore. Um, well, I find brush-up rehearsals are the best thing uh, to sort of bring the company together again and to almost go through the show and re-rehearse it if you have the time to do that, or at least do a note session when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you get laughs where they're not appropriate and you just have to tell the actor not, not to go for the laugh. I mean, a lot of times the actor's impulse is, well, I got the laugh, you know, as if that's the best thing in the world when sometimes it's not. You know, right. Sometimes it is. How often do you, do you go back to Sunday, for example, now that it's... I try and go once a week um, until I get nuts and then I go once every two weeks. Uh, but I generally go once a week. Do the actors know you're there? I tend to... Uh, yeah, I'll go backstage before, but every once in a while I'll just sort of go see the show without letting them know I'm there. I have a, there are a few actors who get crazy when they know that I'm there. Or one of the authors is there, so you know, don't. And you know, then you get in this thing. Well, I, you know, I don't want to be a prisoner and not come backstage at half hour because you don't want to know I'm here. You know, seems to get in this little drama with people about you know whether you're there or not, and I just sort of don't bother with it. That, that's a very important question I want to ask you about. Um, the relationship with the actors changes so much. Yeah. From the love affair it is, hopefully, during rehearsals and, uh. and uh, pre-opening, and then... I want to know who she works. <laughs> well, we, then we can define what we mean by love. Um, and then it's, it's, in a way, such a mixed blessing, because all we, we want long runs, that's what means success. And yeah. then, then there it is, and, and the thing you're just talking about. It's Sometimes the truth. It's, the actors take over, and they're having a love affair with the audience, and you have nothing yeah. to do with it, even though it's your It work. is definitely the curse of the long run. I mean, obviously, you want to be a success, and you want to have a long run. But as a director, the worst part is keeping a show up. I mean, uh, because you've done it, and the fun, the fun part is creating it. The fun part is not necessarily maintaining it. But... Along that lines, too, it's really hard to do cast replacements because you don't want to sit in auditions forever and you don't want to, because hopefully you're on to other things, but it's so important to try and, and put the time and energy into making the right choices to keep Have you put in, I've made a lot of wrong choices. So, yeah. Have you put in all the new people on Sunday? Well, it's constantly changing. So you have actually gone back to both find them and rehearse them? I'd say about... Uh, I was thinking the other night we're at the one year mark and about half the cast is different than the original and now both of the leads are out right so, uh, so you did rehearse I rehearsed them all whether they're the smallest part or the largest part I go back how much time did that actually take how do you work it do you have the production stage management? well yeah I usually um, I usually sort of sit them down and sort of schmooze them you know for an hour about what they're doing and then let the stage manager block them and then I'll come back a week later and I'll work with them and then I'll have Steve the composer come in and work with them on the songs and um, it depends on the size of the part how many members of the company you call in to work with them and uh, usually what I'll do is I'll run the new people through the understudy rehearsal the week before they go on so I get to then see all the understudies which you know they like to have somebody there to see them besides the stage manager once in a while so generally how I do it do you find that I'm, I'm, I'm sure the answer is yes but tell us tell us uh, how you 
feel about your experiences, you don't have to name any names, with the various uh, stage managers you've had, do you find that, ah. isn't that what we want, it's the wonderful production stage manager that yeah. really knows about, that has a directorial eye and can really tell you when something's wrong and be accurate? Yeah, that's hard, um, because I was thinking about it coming over here, because every stage manager has, their, like everyone else in the world, has a strength and a weakness. I feel like I'm having a weakness over there. So... Uh, Going back, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so some have weaknesses, you know, and some have strengths. Um, you find that some say, "I am, I'm a director's stage manager." I've heard them say that, and some call themselves the director's more director. Well, seeing I've workshopped everything I've done, you know, you got to find a stage manager who's going to work for you know three hundred dollars a week at tops, which is hard to find, frankly. You know, uh, I mean, because anyone who's really top notch in that field tends to get be on a Broadway show, which obviously pays them. Well, so, uh, well, in Paul Soto's, for instance, I had a woman who I've worked with often. Um, it was the first show I worked with her, but she can read music. I mean, you know, and that show has is all music, and uh, she can like hear people singing off pitch and things like that. And so, maintaining a show is very helpful because she's able to do that skillfully. Um, Whereas a lot of stage managers aren't skilled in terms of that, and I'm sort of a, a cue nut, you know, and I go nuts if I come back and, you know, the lights don't go out right at the right moment. So, um, and particularly now with these computer boards, you know, it's really trying to coordinate all of that is sort of an art form in itself. So, you know, I get somebody who's good at that and who can't sort of tell somebody how to move across the stage, you know, so it's... I, what I've done, uh, I try, and in this show I have three stage managers, which really they wanted to budget two, but we sort of, I begged them to put a third one on. And so I sort of have the computer person, the actor person, and, you know, the person everybody likes. And then, you know, <laughs> you, sort of, you can sort of cover your bases, you know. Uh, so. And has it helped you then? Because you certainly have had a lot of work. Well, yeah, but, you know, nobody's going to do it for you. I mean, um, I have this one uh, gal who's great, so I figure if God willing the show ever goes anywhere else, she could go and tell everyone exactly where to move, you know. Um, and that's useful because my memory is terrible in blocking things, and, you know, she's very good at that. So, uh, and she, you know, she's a very useful person all around. Um, again, you know, it's an issue with a woman. I think women are just moving into that position where they can really be at the top. Uh, in stage managing, not that they shouldn't be, but if you've spent any time with old-time union guys backstage, you know, it's the old school, you know, you sort of see the money shelling out during previews, you know. I mean, I saw my stage manager, like, shoving bills in people's hands, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. don't publish that. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's an old world. The uh, union is very much about you have to be a legacy to get in, you know, and... Uh, Broadway. Yeah, so I mean, you really want a stage manager who knows that that method. You know, I'm sort of the off-Broadway nonprofit school, which needless to say, you know, it's food stamps you shove in people's hands. So it's, it was a, it's sort of an education, and, and the producers had really lobbied for the, um, a veteran stage manager for me for the show, and I think they were quite right. Because uh, I think if I had used the, the people I used in the workshop came as underlings, and I think they would have been a little lost bringing in a show. Particularly your technical rehearsals are a nightmare, you know, on the road. So. Have you um, experienced in any of the runs the 
problem of talk about, bringing that, that up again, love affair, but this time between the, in, with, amongst, within the company. In other words, actors who seem to be getting along really well, especially as you've done ensemble shows. Then it opens, right. some of them get good reviews, some of them don't get good reviews, some of them the audiences love, some they don't. Right. And you come back and they're just hating each other. Or you put two people in the, right, in the same dressing room because they insisted on being together, and now you come back two months later and they hate each other. Well, so I think I learned that lesson because I try to only cast the nice people. I know that sounds silly, but it's true. I mean, I really go out of my way to kind of find, check around and see whether, you know, this person is somebody who after a week is, you know, comes five minutes before the show begins or, you know, whatever. Uh, but um, I find I get along much better with my companies after the show opens than before, much better. Um, why, I don't know. I think possibly because the type of shows I've done have all been kind of weird and um, and they've been in flux a lot before. Right. You know, we've done a lot of last minute changes and I mean, Sunday they were walking out in droves during previews, which is hard if you're an actor to see people walking out in droves. And, you know, I can understand why they're, you know, apprehensive about the show. And, um, but once, you know, Sunday was a show that we sort of finally became galvanized about, you know, rather than be discouraged by that, it's sort of finally when everybody kind of got pulled together on it, it became our strength. And uh, But that's a hard road to travel. Um, then, of course, you're not around, so they're always glad to see you and they to see you once, you know. Giving notes is hard when you come back because people don't want to be brought Well, that, that's know. another question. Some don't. Some are welcome it and some want to... You know, you go in and you just feel the cold wind blowing with the yellow pad, you know, so look at the yellow pad. But uh, I find that that's, uh, what I try and do is split it between giving the notes myself and giving them to the stage manager to give to the actors. Because if you don't establish the stage manager as being the functionary right. for that, then they never are listened to. So. I was going to ask you that question, but what, oh, okay. I, what I had really asked... Yeah, then was about with, about within the company, not between you and the actors. Mm -hmm. But have have you ever experienced in any of these people friends who where, hate each other? Yeah, yeah, and how that can really bring down the, the energy of the show. Yeah, well, I am sort notes. of a, the uh, psychotherapy school where you sort of bring the two parties together and mm -hmm. you know say, okay, I know you don't like her and she doesn't like you, and I'm sick of hearing about it, you know. And if you can't get along, you know, both of you leave, and you know. Then they hate you and everything's fine. So, <laughs> um, I haven't had too much of that. What's more uh, of issue is when, not so much personalities, but when people on stage are pulling business on each other, you know, and and which happens a lot, you know, and somebody starts getting the laugh before the laugh right. that she always got, and you know, so she doesn't get the laugh, you know, that kind of stuff, which is a, you know, boring, but. I would be bothered if I didn't get my laugh too. So, you know, um, I think you have to kind of just sort of mediate it. I guess I'm pretty good at that. I mean, it's sort of, um, I'm of the non-hysterical school. Sometimes I wish I were more hysterical, but I tend to not get bothered very much by it a lot. So I can sort of, other people can get hysterical around me because I don't get hysterical. And once they sort of get it all out, they all feel better because they don't have anyone to get it out, a figure of authority to get it out to. The stage manager is really not functioning at a level in which they can really mediate in those situations. Do you ever get phone calls from the stage manager? I mean, do you get weekly reports? Yeah, I ask for them. And whenever anybody goes on for somebody else, I ask to be called, and I try and get over there and see it or help them. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I like to know what's going on. I really am sort of 
I don't do that many shows. You know, I think uh, relative to a lot of directors, and it's probably because I'm a writer, I don't direct that many shows. So I tend to really, uh, and also because my shows, I know it sounds like they've been long runs, and they have, but I mean, they're never long enough. And once they close, the first show was table settings, and it had moved, um, and we had an opportunity to move again to a crummy space. And I said, no, you know, oh no, I've had, because I hated everybody so much, you know, I just didn't want to be bothered. And of course, I learned the hard way what a precious thing it was to have a show running. And of course, I didn't really hate them, but it was my first show, and I also was so ambivalent about the success I had had with it. You know, I think it was um, so much emotionally was tied into it, and I wanted it to be gone. And I, it was so painful for me three months later when I didn't have anywhere to go and I didn't, it wasn't running and people didn't get to see it that I think I learned the importance of being involved and keeping the show going and, uh, and putting you know, as much energy into that as you do into all the other elements of, of, of the production. Almost, almost like a part-time, full-time job. Well, you're getting paid a weekly royalty. They're not paying it to you for nothing. You know, I think uh, a lot of directors don't put in the time, and I think it's wrong. I think that that's why you're being paid. And, uh, I think it's unfair to the actors. I think it's particularly unfair to the playwright to not have the show in tip-top shape all the time. Except if you're in rehearsal with something else, which legally you're allowed to be, as long as you. I think the contract yeah, says once every uh, two weeks you have to you have to check up on it. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. Do you think that's because you, you are also a playwright and that you're just a little more yeah, sensitive? Yeah, I think so. It's because my name is on it, and I wouldn't want people seeing something that I... And it's frustrating because the show is not as good as I'd like it to be, but I at least have the peace of mind knowing that I'm doing everything I can to make it as good as it can be, even if it isn't. You know? And it's not going to be. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we did this show, we wrote it for actors, we did it in a workshop, and uh, it just it can never be that way again, you know, and nor should it be. But when you strive for a certain, you know, amount of perfection in something, and you come close to it, you know, uh, it's hard when you don't reach it again. In certain instances, things are, are better. New people can be better than old people. I can ask you that's my next question. Uh, it, have you had that happen when someone new comes in and they bring something new and you just love it? Yeah. The, how the, do you adjust the rest of it to match that? Well... It usually pulls everybody else up, too. You know, the nicest thing to see about a new person is everyone else adjusting to the new person. And in a way, a lot of actors enjoy having someone else come in because it makes them rethink what they're doing. Uh, when that new, The problem that we're facing now is that these there are people who've been in the show from the workshop and now in the real company for a year, and somebody comes in and barely two weeks of rehearsal getting on the stage, and everyone is horrified. Well, you know, what do they want? You know, they were hor horrible after two weeks of rehearsal. Not horrible, but, you know, it takes, it's a tough show to sing just for somebody to be able to get out and remember the notes and never rehearsing with an orchestra and hearing the orchestra. I mean, it's one thing after the next, after the next. Um, it's hard for present-day company members to allow new people the time they need to get up to the level of which everyone else is and, they always get up and they always forget about the old people and they always say they're terrific after a month and they always feel ridiculous for fetching, but nevertheless, you, know, you get the looks and the fetching. Do you ever get really tired uh, in the sense that... I'm sure you do, but you can tell us about it. It's I get sick of the show. You know, yes. there are times when I go totally and I just get up and I say, I can't watch, can't watch this, you know. 
another night, you know. And then there'll be times I'll go back and I'll have a great time. Does it depend on the audience that night or how you're feeling? I think it's how I'm feeling and the kind of show it is, you know. Um, you get bored? I get real bored. I get real bored. And I know all the tricks and I know that, you know, wait two beats and you'll get the lab and, you know, if you just hold here for two more seconds and throw it, you'll get the applause and, you know, it becomes scientific after a way when you know a show well enough how it makes things work. And of course, an actor loves being told, you know, wait two beats and then throw it. You know, why do I wait two beats? You know, because you get the laugh if you wait two beats. That's why. You know, whereas, you know, in rehearsal you say, well, you wait two beats because you're thinking about him, you know, justified. You know, seven months later you just say, you wait two beats and you throw it, you know. And, uh, you know, even though there may well have been just cause to wait the two beats once, now you know what works and what doesn't. And, uh, so it's hard for actors going into shows because they have to work outside in when, you know, particularly in shows where you tend to work just the other way around. But I get real tired of it and um, I get angry a lot too, you know. At? Everyone. <laughs> well, you get angry because um, no, you know, because you're dependent upon and uh, obviously nobody can do, be inside your head and be there to make decisions for you. So. You get angry when decisions aren't made the way you would make them. And um, I find now that I'm finally going on to a new project, I'm liking the show more and more because I'm less tied in. And I do think emotionally you're tied in. You know, I'm sure you all know if you direct either you like some people, you dislike other people. And that doesn't go away the minute you open a show. You know, it's still there. And uh, so a lot of it is about resolving relationships. And, uh, so it is psychotherapy. That's all the theater really is about. Well, I don't know that's all the theater is about. I mean, if you don't get emotionally involved in what you do, it's not what it's about, you know. But if you, uh, I probably am too precious about my shows, you know, so for me it's probably what it's about. I think actors have to be involved. I can't imagine getting out there every night and for them not being involved in what they're doing emotionally. But I know other directors who never go back, you know. People, if we look at all the English directors who come over here, they, what do you think, they come back once a week? I mean, you know, they haven't been back do you, have you worked with uh, assistants? I mean, the, you, either an assistant director or, or, or an assistant too that you, that, you, that you have trusted a lot? And I haven't really found that person yet, which is hard. Um, I've found a couple of stage managers mm -hmm. who I uh, feel that way about. But I, and I've had wonderful assistants. But what you generally get are assistants who are interns or non-paid assistants or uh, just learning. They're there for the learning experience as opposed to taking over, you know. I think the fellows that do the big shows, you know, Hal Prince and Michael Bennett and those people, they have found those people who go and do a beat in 14 countries for them, you know, which um, I think you, know, you can find. Well, in a musical you can find that because it's a musical. I think a play is much harder to find companies, you know, because there it truly has to be tailored for the actor. But it's something you are working. Are you working on it? Do you feel committed to trying to, to, to train such people so you yourself could have the services that you uh, well, trust a lot? Yeah, I don't know how you find them to train. You know, um, I think it's a special person. I think it's a person who doesn't want to be really a director in their own right. Mm -hmm. And I tend to be attracted to people who want to be directors in their own right. So. We could probably argue that point. Maybe, we'll, maybe if anyone is interested, we'll bring. Well, that I'm talking question. about the people I know who do it for other directors. Mm -hmm. 
Because uh, I started that way with Alan Schneider. Uh-huh. I always knew I wanted to be a director. And maybe not now, but... Yeah, well, I'd be curious. Alan Schneider, for example, trained an army of us. He uh-huh. really did. So maybe that will come up as a question later. Um, but you, you keep hoping. I mean, you're looking for such a person. To well, know. yeah, I mean, I... I'm really not in that situation where I need that person to do 14 countries of you know, right. something. But, um, sure, I think one always wants that. You always want... I tend to hire somebody whose opinion I want to mm-hmm. hear more than their craft at going and doing what I right. do. Right. I'd rather... I, I find I always opt for the person who I want to turn to and say, you know, this what is... What do you think? Right. Stinker, you know, am I crazy? So if, when you go away this summer to California, how long right. will you be gone from looking at Sunday? Uh, I'll be gone probably about five, six weeks, which will probably be the Long longest time. I've ever been away from anything. Will you get weekly my reports from your stage manager still out there? Yeah, I'm sure I will. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll say, don't bother me. Because <laughs> there's nothing I can do, so what do I want to get aggravated, you know, 3,000 miles away for? You know? yeah. But then, then that person really has to take over. This is the PSA. Yeah, I'll tell you, the real, what we're trying to do is get this show in shape so that nobody will be leaving in that time. Right. The other thing you're always battling are vacation times, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the other thing you're battling is hiring people from your own show for your next show, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a wild thing to be doing. Yeah, you know, awful it is to be successful. You have uh, all these problems. Right. I'm not complaining. Um, in a way, I think you're in a very particular... There are very few members of this union, I think, who have that kind of quick success and... In yeah, such a short amount of time. Yeah. It's really quite, quite, you're quite a, a unique phenomenon, I think. Um, do you know, have you thought about it a, a, a lot in terms of the fact that you are a playwright, started as a playwright? Mm-hmm. Is that right that you started as a playwright? Or just with yeah, the uh, Well, yeah, I mean, I sort of drifted into the theater, so I guess I, uh, the, the first real equity thing I did was a play that I wrote, but I did direct a couple of productions prior to writing a play. Do you feel that being a playwright has really shaped you as a director, and maybe you are as sensitive as you are because of that? Because you're working, you know, well, uh, yeah, I guess so. You don't know who to what to compare it to, except other directors you aren't. Yeah, well, I think the motivation to write came from being a director, because I felt, um, you know, I had been a graphic designer prior to being, moving into the theater, and there you were for people all the time. And if you're an artist, and I love doing, creating things, and then some schmo would say, no, 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 you know, take this out and put that in. And you'd always have to do it, because that's what you were getting paid to do. And I think I felt that as a director, too, that I wanted to have the control over what I was doing in terms of ideas. So I think I turned to writing so I could write things that were about subjects that interested me that would be fun to direct. And I think I sort of purposely have written fun things to direct, you know. In the future, do you have any sense of, uh, are you writing a new play you're going to direct, or do you not? Well, I'm working on an, uh, another musical with Steve, so that's yeah. the next thing. And uh, I've been writing, I've written a couple of films, and uh, I mean, now, oddly enough, don't feel any uh, real need to write plays for me to direct, but that's what I felt, you know, five years ago. Uh, I know, I would love to let somebody else direct my work. I have now, I'm relaxed enough to do that. Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah, but that was hard to do, let me tell you. The first time I saw somebody else direct a show of mine, I practically had to be carried out of the theater. I mean, I was in a state of shock. It was bad, I assume. Well, I thought it was terrible, you know, but I never, you know, I, of course it got rave reviews, you know, which really made me think, and ran longer in L.A. than it ran in New York, so suddenly, and you know, 
and then actors, of course, never think you should direct your own stuff. So, but um, I think it's just as because I'm visual in the way that I run, I envision it a certain way, and I'm beginning to understand that things can work many different ways, and mm-hmm. the way that I envision it is not necessarily the way it has to be. Which I think, if you're a director with a playwright, you have to turn around and tell them, you know, let me show you mm-hmm. how it can work this other way. And, um, I think a playwright has the right to see it the way they wrote it, but I don't think that they should be so intransient about that way. If it works. Well, I find with actors, too, uh, my sort of method that I learned that works with actors is that an intelligent actor will read a script and have an idea on how to approach a role. I think if you're going to come into a rehearsal and push them away from their own instinctual path, it's they're only going to fight you all the way, and rightfully so. And so I sort of in the first couple of weeks of rehearsals, always let actors kind of do what they want to do. And and then they play it out, and certain things you find work beautifully that you wouldn't have thought of, and other things don't. And then you can pull them in and put the whole thing together. And I think the same is true with the playwright if you work with them, and they aren't, you haven't proved to them that what they want to see doesn't work. They're always going to feel that they never they got to nice. see it. And if you show it to them, and then show them an alternative to it, they'll be more amenable to change. How many weeks do you usually have? You said a few weeks. Well, I've always had four or five weeks yeah. for rehearsal, never more than that. I'm Speedy Gonzalez, though. I get very bored in rehearsals. I just like to get it. I have a run-through at the end of the first week. Oh, so you block right away. Yeah, I, mean, I block before I get into rehearsal. I do it all on graph paper, and all my blocking is done before I get on I block on the model, too. It's mm-hmm. all... Now, obviously, you change it when you get there, but... It's hard for actors to do a run-through in the first week of the first act, anyway. But and of course, it's always you know yanking an elephant. But it's so helpful to see it, to know what you've got to do, particularly if you're the writer, you know, mm-hmm. to see that the shape of it. And then I can go do all the detail work and rethink everything. But that's sort of the way. What is it like working with Stephen Sondheim? <laughs> Surprised him. I didn't let him know that was coming. Oh, I don't know. Is that keeping a show running, you mean? Or just in general? I, so did, no, just... just uh, what element? Everything? You want to know? Um, well, you work with them in two ways, of course, as director and mm-hmm. as book writer to, to the music. Anything at all that in relates general? to you being as a director, I guess. Well, well, frankly... For one thing, he's worked so long with Harold Prince, right? right. So maybe that's a good point. It's just, just coming in as somebody well, so I new. I think he... It was hard for us at first. I think we worked as the writer, as a writer much earlier than we ever approached writers, directors. Right. So, and I, in fact, was not all that hot to direct Sunday initially. And um, Steve was much more intent that I do it than I was. So, but um, I think he's uh, truly a remarkable man in many respects. I mean, one fashion is he's a total collaborator. And, and uh, he wants to share what he does with who he works with and vice versa. So to that degree, I think he's... uh, And I think that's probably a lot of what's wrong with theater in this country anyway. I mean, is that it's so divided up uh, and people are... um, don't feel that they can interject ideas because it's not in their domain and writers are going off writing without the directors and directors are working with actors without the writers and um, down the line and... um, I mean, he's terrific at sharing all of the responsibilities of the show, including directorial, you know. Um, 
I didn't ca- I've never cast anybody without consulting him and his approval. And, um, and so when they don't work out, he shares right. the fact that they don't work out, which is nice for me, you know. Um, and I think as a director, I have to assume the ultimate responsibility. But I think he's just involved in every aspect of the production in a positive way. And clearly not enthusiastically all the time, because, you know, there are times when he'd rather be in the country than sitting in an understudy rehearsal, but he uh, assumes all that. And obviously, it's real important for the company to have him around because he's an important person, you know, in this business. And not that I'm, I'm not really, you know, I'm beginning and uh, people would did Sunday in the Park because it was a Stephen Sondheim musical. They weren't doing it because I was doing it, frankly, you know. And... Um, to that degree, you know, I make him be around because it helps me, you know, and particularly in previews, it helped me to have them know how how uh, firmly he stood behind my work and what we were doing. And uh, so I had a difficult time with that, and, you know, actors were writing notes to the producer saying, get a new director, and, you know, and um, leaving notes in his doorstep saying, you know, get a new book writer. Um, and frankly, uh, if you're ever in that situation, you get um, vulnerable, you know. <laughs> and uh, the best thing that can be said about him was he did not bend one inch, not only, well, that he didn't even take seriously, but, and I might add, the producers never told me about these letters, of course, until after the show. I don't know why they told me after the show. <laughs> I guess to show me how considerate they had been before the show, but... Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think that the best thing to be said for him is that he stood behind uh, the show in a positive way and said if people walk out, they walk out, but this is what we sat down to write. And, and it's such a good lesson to be reminded of if that's what you have to do. And he came in, I had, you know, in, in the psychotherapy school, you know, gathering the company together and getting these heartfelt rallies, you know, looking at these vacant faces, you know. And I don't think they, I think they were exhausted, you know taken, but, you know, um, and I guess I was looking for support, too, but one, you know, he came in and he spoke of West Side Story, and funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and shows that were proven successes that were truly, you know, problematical in the preview period, and um, in such a way that it was funny, and, you know, I remember that so distinctly, because everybody just, you have to remind yourself that you're part of a bigger scheme than, you know, opening next Tuesday, and uh, to that degree, he was, you know, invaluable in putting everything in a proper perspective for the big show. I, I, you know, can't say enough nice things about him you know, on every respect. That is very, that is, you, you know that that's not necessarily common, because if that was your experience, I mean, he, he must have really meant it. And that's, I'm sure he's that way in everything, frankly. Although I think, no, but I mean, if he, did, oh. if he didn't agree, if he didn't, he supported no. you because he really respected you, obviously. And if he well, wouldn't been, have, he would have. Let you you know, know, frankly, I will add this: that part of the problems of the show were the fact that the score wasn't finished. You know, as I said, the last song went in two days before the critics arrived. So, uh, how do you exp- you explain to actors what your scene is and what's missing? But what do they care? They have to get up there every night, and I was writing these, you know ridiculous monologues to go in the place of songs. I mean, you know, people are standing up there singing, this is a musical, what are they, you know, turning front and spieling to me? But we needed that so we knew structurally where songs would go and what they, what information, you know. 
Because if you didn't do it, then the information was missing and you really were lost. So uh, I think, you know, also I think he understood a lot of the difficulty I was having as the director was because of the uh, script, of the musical yeah. not being complete. And uh, that's not easy to be in that situation if you're a director and you're trying to, you know, convince people it's going to be okay yeah. in three days, you know. And, you know, that's, if, if, if he has a bad point, you know, a bad, it's that he works very slowly, which isn't bad because what he produces is fantastic, but it takes time and he's right, you can't write the wrong song, you know, you have to know what the song is and when to write it and sometimes that's not till the 11th hour. So you're in, you know, unfortunately we probably shouldn't have been sitting on 45th Street. You know, I think that's why people go out of town. So now you, always, you wish you had done that. Well, I probably would still be sitting in 45th Street waiting at the 11th hour if we'd gone out of town, so I don't know. I hate, as I said, going away, so I don't know that I would want to have, you know, Sunday it would have been a ridiculous show to take out of town. I mean, you just can't go into Baltimore and cut up people's theaters, you know, to stick in all that garbage and right. they so it was... Uh, Plus, I think people in Baltimore truly would have loathed the show. <laughs> I think it's a show if they don't like in New York, they don't like nowhere. So, you know, uh, I think probably we've made the right decision. It was just a difficult, painful situation to be in, you know. Uh, not, you know, that difficult, painful, over-exaggerated. Some pleasant. You know. I suppose there's always something pleasant. Uh how much did the developmental process of Playwrights Horizons with this show, do you think, um, I don't really know much about it, what that was like, uh, help what resulted in such a successful product? Well, I think it, it really helped a lot. I think... Um, was it just four, four or five weeks It was of I think about four weeks of rehearsal and four weeks of performances. And there we went into rehearsal, literally, with, you know, four songs. And just the first act, basically? Well, the, both acts were written, but we, it took us some... Um, so the middle of the second week, almost into the third week, to have the first act complete. This is in front of people every night, which is also not the greatest way to work. Um, but, uh, you know, so you have to get out there. They had benefits, nonetheless, where people were paying, you know, hundreds of dollars to see an unfinished first act. They come, you know, paying $250 thinking they're going to see a complete show. Somebody has to get out there and tell them, uh, you're only seeing the first act and it's not finished. Uh, fortunately, it's an act that feels like a show. So, uh, and then, of course, you get the other side. So you finish it, and everybody says you don't need a second act, you know. And then you put the second act up, and it has no music in it. You put it up for two performances, three performances, to looks of great dismay, you know. And, uh, you know, what is this, and why do you need it? So then we had to go through that whole trip of saying, what is this, and why do we need it? You know? um, but it was totally developed there. And for me, because I've, I've worked in a workshop situation every time except Midsummer Night's Dream in the park. And um, so I, it's the only way I can work, but it's the first time Steve had ever done it. And I think it was, you know, a real, real important thing for, our, uh, for him in terms of working together and finding another way to work. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about what you mean by another way to work? Well, I think the way he worked with Prince on their shows was you go out of town, you know, you don't really do workshops. I don't think they've ever did workshops. I think they just sort of wrote the show and read all the parts themselves in their living room, you know, and uh, then just went into rehearsal and did it. And uh, obviously they did it to great success. Um, 
But I think, you know, probably the lesson of Merrily We Roll Along is, is that they didn't do it. It didn't work in that situation, you know. It was a problematical uh, concept for a show in which um, it might have been helped by a workshop. I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have, you know. I think when you go on Broadway, though, I think the biggest shock for me, everyone said, well, well, you know, was not anything except the audiences, because their audiences are not like nonprofit off Broadway. And that's the biggest shock. Um, when you have, you know, busloads of people coming to your previews who don't stop talking in the course of the evening and getting up and leaving. You know, I mean, you never find that off Broadway. At least I never did. Um, because people are paying much less money, their expectations are much less. You know, when you're sitting two feet away from somebody singing at the top of their lungs, it's thrilling. And, you know, when you're hearing it through amplification for $45, it's a different situation. You know, I think if Merrily had been in a smaller arena, maybe, initially, it would have, you know, maybe uh, had a different kind of life than the Broadway. You did tell me before that you are working on that in the summer. I don't know. Yeah. Is it, is it, are you re- rewriting it with him, or are you just... Uh, yeah, he and George Firth are rewriting it, it you know, uh, not two, two very important rewrites, but I wouldn't say substantially rewritten, and mostly the beginning. And uh, it's, we're doing it in California, basically, to take it out of the kind of, you know, thing about when you are someone like Steve, sometimes you get a lot of attention, it's hard to get away from Even at playwrights, we found that it was hard to get away from it. So we tried to take it as far away as we could. What was your experience at, uh, at the public? You worked there twice, once on a smaller project, 12 Dreams, which you also wrote, mm-hmm. and Midsummer, which is right. different because it was in the park. But you want to talk about uh, comparing the nurturing you had at Playwrights versus Public, or? Well, the Public Theater, the 12 Dreams I had done as a workshop <laughs> with the Lennox Arts people first. And uh, there's not a lot to tell about that. It was your basic, the show was in good shape. We put it up, you know, and uh, we opened it, you know, and it went away. So um, the, it was difficult there because of this, when you work at the Public Theater, needless to say, it's Joe Papp's you know, place, and there's nothing wrong with that. I used to be resentful of that, you know. So somebody said to me, it's his toy, if he can do what he wants. And I thought, yeah, you're right, you know. I mean, he built the place, you know, if he wants to close the show in two months, then that's his priority, you know, that's what he's prerogative to do, you know, it doesn't make me happy. But he happened to be, have been away when we did 12 Dreams, and he wouldn't open the show until he got to see it. And we had a wonderful company of actors, and... Uh, they worked a lot, those actors, and they weren't going to sit around and wait to be told that it was going to be extended, and they all got other jobs, and by the time the show opened and was playing to capacity as it did, um, everyone was off, you know, already committed to go elsewhere. And we had, the thing that was the saving grace was that we were to be uh, filmed for cable television, the Arts Channel was going to shoot it, so I thought, okay, it'll go away, but at least I'll get it recorded, and then, boom, it didn't happen you know, at the last minute. So it was sort of painful. It's never been done anywhere by anyone else. And is it published? Yes, it's published. And the uh, Midsummer Night's Dream was, you know, a colossal disaster from my point of view. Not that it was your first Shakespeare, right? First Shakespeare, and I had wanted to do a workshop of it in January and, uh, and had it all organized and ready to do. And uh, I was in California doing March of the Falsettos for the umpteenth time. And... Um, 
board stood and Joe Papp, who is wonderful and charming and persuasive, called and said, how would you like to do it in the park this summer? You know, meanwhile, it's April. I've read the play, you know, four times, and I'm supposed to be prepared. And uh, I don't know why, but I, I guess I was bored. He's so... You know, what's good about him is that he is not precious about what he does. I mean, the man has so many theaters and so much, you know, going on that it's just what, you know, it's another show to him. And so that sort of translates to you. So I thought, yeah, it's just another show. I'll do it, you know, in front of 1,600 people every night, you know. You so had a month rehearsal? We had a month rehearsal, and, uh, and it went great. And it worked, it looked great. First of all, by the time you start casting in May, Who's left, you know? Who wants to be in the city in New York if they can get to the Berkshire Theater Festival or whatever? And so a lot of the people were not available that I would like to cast. And my, I got into rehearsal and my costume designer just punked out on me and I couldn't find a costume designer and so the concept went out the window. But uh, all that aside, it, was, it wasn't an unpleasant experience in terms of that until you get into the part where rehearsing during the day when it's 99 degrees beating down on you is not what you would call conducive to, you know, clear thinking. And um, I, in those days, like to drink a lot of beer, so 99 degrees drinking beer in the hot sun, truly not conducive to clear thinking. And um, then it rains. You know, well, what do you do when it rains? Well, who wants to go back to the rehearsal hall that you've been sweltering in for four weeks? You know, so you lose the whole day. And we had this great concept of a set that was the park. And it rains, and the ground of your set turns to mud. So you can't go on your set, even after it stopped raining. And I could go on and on. And it was, um, the wonderful thing is that is such a wonderful play. And it was such a wonderful place to do that wonderful play that the audience has had a great time. You know, it's just, I don't know, I'm sure anyone in this room has felt the same way. You just, you didn't get it the way you wanted to get it, and you didn't get the guy you wanted, and it nags, gnaws at you forever, because, you know, it was a wonderful opportunity that I felt I didn't get to see near what I had envisioned, so. But, you know, know, I learned more from that production than anything I've ever done. You know, I I have a feeling probably that the less successful things you do are probably the things you've really learned the most from. Mm-hmm. I think Sunday was a direct result of that experience because it was the next thing I did, which I did very slowly and took a long time doing and uh, really learned. I also never had a company. Had, had, had fake trees. Yeah, I had a company of 32 people, you know. On top of everything else, I had never been, you know, I'd just done a musical with five people and suddenly I walked into a room there, 32 people. And, you know, you're not a director. It's called, you know, speaking to the megaphone. Particularly in the park, it's the only way, you know, you can't keep running down the steps to people's direction. It's wild. You know, and, you know, marshalling around 32 people is uh, it's something you have to learn to do. You know, it's not something you don't have to do. Let's open it up to questions. Uh-huh. Well, why did you come? That's my question. Jim. Uh, is... This is a question about Stephen Sondheim. Is he disinterested in writing dance music? Have you ever talked to him about that? No, I, I don't think he writes dance musicals, so I don't think he writes, would write dance music, but I don't think he's philosophically against it. I mean, God knows there have been a lot of dances in his shows. Um, our show didn't have any need for dancing, so there would be no need for dance music. And I think you'll also find, though, 
I may be wrong, but most dance music is not written by the composer anyway. Isn't usually there are people who do dance arrangements yeah. from the music that exists. So I don't think they, most composers write it anyway. Even if you know, if you looked at the rink, which had a lot of dancing in it, Kender and Ever, whichever the one that writes the music, it didn't write the music or the dancing. It was done by Guy and Tom Bay. So probably none of those guys. Except Marvin. Well, fortunately, I haven't had that problem. Well, I have had the problem. I finally just say, what's wrong? You don't want to do the note? You know, I mean, you just find out what the story is. Because that annoys me, and I just, I feel like I'm wasting my time to tell somebody to do something without doing it, you know. You just have to sort of cut through it and say, if you're not going to do it, don't waste my time. And then I suppose it depends on the, um, the gravity of the note, you know. I tell you, I take a tack, which I learned a long time ago, because the first show I did table settings, the lead guy wanted to quit, and I desperately was hanging on to him, which is a le- one of the big first lessons I met where the producer said to me, look, he doesn't want to do it, let him go, you know. And I was like sure that the whole roof would fall in without him. And... Um, so I just let people know if they don't want to be in the show or they don't want to do it the way it's written to that I'll arrange for them to leave. Are you saying you should have let them go? Absolutely. But then you were too scared to do that. Now I tell everybody, you don't want to be here, go, go. You know, I don't want anybody around that's unhappy. It's, you know, not, it's not fun doing shows a lot of time anyways, and particularly not fun if you've got that kind of personality thing going on. So I just find, you know, say goodbye to them and, and, Generally, that makes people feel better because they know they're there because they're choosing to be there. They know they don't have to be there. And consequently, you know, the attitude tends to change. And so I, I don't know beyond that. I find that um, the note thing, sometimes you just have to really... What I find in Sunday, which is difficult, is most of the people have very small parts and they're very talented people. And it's hard for them to not squeeze it dry to the point of exhaustion just to make it interesting for themselves. And that's hard because... And I encourage people in, in shows to go do other things, to take a vacation, to... What I've got a lot of people do is to understudy other roles in the show. And when we make cast changes, I switched parts around as much as I could so that at least there's something for them to kind of be doing, you know, uh, all of They tend to be pretty minor, but they're changes, you know, you'll do little different pieces of this. I find it more interesting, and then when I go back to see it, I'll feel like I'm going to be seeing the same show again, you know, I try and shuffle things around as much as I can without unsettling, you know, the show itself, but pretty much I always make little... I bet every time I go back and make a little adjustment somewhere about something. Um, when you put a, a new person in a role, I'll tend to tailor it for that person because I'm the writer so I can do that, you know. And um, for instance, we put someone in now to replace Bernadette, you know, and um, we wrote the show for Bernadette. And trying to find anybody to replace for someone you've written the show for is impossible, you know, particularly when you have someone like Mandy and Bernadette who are so specific vocally and so specific in terms of their 
persona, you know, and I'll never do it again, never, you know, because it's not, it's just too painful to try and uh, push somebody in that direction, and um, it diminishes the show a little bit, I think, because um, it was too tailored. You mean when they leave? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Mandy Patinkin, it was written for a baritone, we pushed the whole thing up into tenor, and an incredible range, which, you know, three people in the world can match. And um, Bernadette's voice is all right there in the chest, low chest, you know, which, again, is a hard thing to find. Maybe not quite as hard, but... And on and on and on. So, um, what, I'm, what we're trying to do is just tailor the roles for the new people in hopes that it will, you know, settle in. It'll take a long time, a long time, a few weeks, to even know whether we made the right choice and whether it's working or not. Do you, you change keys? And you change keys, you, uh, I mean, there are vocal things that Bernadette, you know, didn't do well or as well as someone else, and vice versa, so you kind of, you kind of find different ways of delivering things vocally. Um, also, uh, again, you know, you don't want somebody who's going to come in and do a carbon copy performance, so suddenly they're finding other ways of doing things, and it makes you kind of readjust the scene in a new way so they can kind of make it their own and not at the same time, you know, disrupt what the scene is about, so. Uh, anyway, you know, you hire a tall person and takes her half as many steps to get across the stage. I mean, already you've got to do something, you know. When you hire understudies, initially, do you hire them thinking of them just as understudies or as potential replacements? Well, yeah, it is a good question, because when you talk about maintaining a show, boy, you really got to cast your understudies carefully, which you never do, or I've never done, because you can't barely find the people to play the parts, let alone to understudy them. So, uh, I think, you know, it's hard because um, ideally you would like someone to take over, but for instance, there's a woman who understudies three roles in the show now, and she's wonderful understudying three roles, but she's not right for any of them. And, you know, this poor woman sees people coming and going, she doesn't get the role. And it's painful, but you hire her because she can, she's good at faking through the three, you know, not faking, but she's just not really right for any of them. Sometimes you get somebody who's perfectly right and moving right in and there's no problem. Um, yeah, ideally, but it never happened. Was it, wasn't Westenberg an understanding issue? Yes, but he was in the show, which helps. I think if you're playing a smaller role and you're understudying a bigger role, it's different than being not on stage. Right. And uh, I think to that, because he had something to do all the time. He was meticulous in rehearsals. So one reason we hired him again was because he was there from day one watching the character and the role be put together. And he brings that to it, that people who come in and audition don't unfortunately have the advantage of. Um, what did he play? He played the soldier. And now the soldiers It's frustrating and it's painful because you like your understudies a lot of time, and that's a real thankless mm -hmm. job. You know, uh, getting pushed out for two minutes to do the show part and never being able to do it. It's frustrating. Yes. You mentioned that the, the last song was put in two days before you were Before the critics came out. Right. Were there any songs going out? No, none on Broadway. A lot of them were shortened. A lot of them were condensed or, or edited. But uh, only one song was thrown out in reversal from the workshop, which was a tiny song. 
If you know the show, there's a bather's wagon that comes in, and I'm in the show with three kids from the bathing, and I'm here at a Nisheb song. But also the other problem is, you know, we, our first preview was an hour and 42 minutes, you know, first act. So, uh, you know, and that was in rehearsal. We were coming in about an hour 50, 55, you know, so it's all we are the writer. And then, of course, people get hired with scripts in which they have a lot to do, and the next thing you know, they have nothing to do, so they're real happy to. Anything else? You mentioned you were a graphic designer. Have you ever been tempted to design one of your No, not really. I feel like I design them anyway, you know, I mean, with a designer, so I don't feel that I want to do it beyond that. I have no skill. You work with some pretty good designers. Yeah, I work with great designers. When I say designers, yeah, very specific. But they design it. I mean, I'm not taking credit because they execute it, and they'll always bring things to it that I would never think of. But what I, what I mean by that is, spa- I always think spatially, so the first thing I figure is, where's the theater, what's it look like, and how are we going to use the space? And so I always work that way first, and don't do anything else till I know, you know, do I want to rake, am I forcing the perspective, do I have to, you know, uh, thrust out, all that physical stuff. Um, so, uh, no, but I don't have, I have too much Well, if I show the communication off, they usually get fired. You know, I mean, because then what's the point? What do you want to have somebody working for you can't talk to? You know, I find a lot of times, you know, firing people is one of the hardest things. You know, I'm talking about somebody quitting. Well, the other side of it is when you make a mistake. You know, you cast them on. And every single time I've let somebody go, there's been such a sense of relief on their part, much more than mine. I'm always the tortured party. You know, I'm the one with tears in my eyes, and they're just like, oh, thank God, you know. Because it's usually because they just can't give me what I want, and they know it, and they they feel bad about it. And uh, it's not any, you know, uh, judgment of, of their ability as an actor. It's just they ain't what I had in mind, you know, and they know it, and you know it. So... But I think it's hard. When I first started directing, I was really bad because I was a graphic designer. My vocabulary was not an actor's vocabulary, so you know, give me a little more blue doesn't mean much, you know. But um, so I think communication's a lot. It's a lot about just finding how somebody works because everybody works differently, and you have to accommodate an actor's own. Some actors are real slow, and you have to hope that they're going to get it, and other actors are fast and they lose it two weeks later and you know it's really like a big juggling and, and some actors come to life in front of an audience and some, some don't, don't and, uh, <laughs> you know so it's uh, the thing I try and do is I mean I don't care well, another important thing I learned was I didn't care whether people liked me I always thought I had to sort of be popular you know and the minute I realized that that didn't matter I became much more liked first of all because you know I wasn't bending over backwards anymore, just doing my job and giving what I could give and, you know, getting what I could get. And um, So I just, you know, I try to, like, not get personally leave. Because the communication thing can be a lot about, I can't stand this person and I don't really like them, you know. 
and that gets in the way a lot of working with people and you don't like them. And, you know, you're human, you're not supposed to like everybody the same. Some people you like more than others, so vice versa, you know. But if you can just get it into the work and you know, always seem to iron itself out. Some people I just like are always the people I end up being friendly with ultimately, you know, because if there's a lot of friction, sometimes that's great getting to know somebody quickly and getting past the bullshit and, and in a way, sometimes those people end up being the best relationships as opposed to the nice people who don't tell you what's bothering them and can't voice their insecurities or uncertainties or it's draining, though, also, I mean, if you've worked with temperamental actors, you know, it tends, the, the difficulty there is it tends to drain everybody. Or if you've worked, I'm sure, with temperamental anybody, you know, it gets draining to have to take time out to deal with people's temperaments. I don't find that a lot of fun, but sometimes it's just the makeup of you know, psyche. No, I haven't ever found damaging. I find that there's a lot of resistance and I almost inevitably have to sit everybody down and explain why I have to do it. And um, I find that pushed that way, actors are incredibly resourceful and find things in themselves that they never thought they were ready to find. And, uh, putting it together can be most helpful. So no, I mean, I always get resistance and, you know, actors are, you know, run through today and, you know, and also because the designers, partially it's because the designers are there and I make people come see it, which is really unnerving, you know, and have an audience. What kind of people? You mean? Oh, no, just people who are involved in the production. I wouldn't have a stranger. Yeah. But the designers have to see it, you know, and, I, and my explanation to the actors is, look, we're going to get to a technical rehearsal and the set isn't going to work. And you have to understand that we're going to be sitting around ready to roll and the set's going to be screwed up or the costumes don't fit. And if you're going to let... The, des the designer's going to be vulnerable then and upset and you have to understand that he has to be here now while you're not getting the scene, you know, not doing your work the way you want to do it. And I think if you just think about it, it has to be that way. Everybody in the situation is going to screw up and be unprepared and be not at their best. And you have to be willing to, uh, you know, uh, expose yourself in that way and be, be there for the other person when it happens to them. And usually when you do that, you know, people will settle down, and I make them carry scripts. I mean, I don't, you know, walk, make people walk out there and do a run-through by memory. I mean, it's not anything but a run-through with a script in hand, but it really gives you a through-line. I mean, I don't know how anybody would want, not want, you know, want to not do it, because how do you know what you're part of until you put it all together? You don't get to rehearse chronologically, I mean, in a play or linearly. I mean, you have to divide it up so that you use... The other thing I never do is have people sitting around. You know, I know a lot of directors do that. They call the whole company, and they work with two people while 18 of them are sitting in the hall drinking coffee, and I hate that, you know. So I never do that, but when you don't do that, that means you have these weird schedules where you do the first scene and the eighth scene, and, you know, that's why I need to have it all together so I get a little thing of where everybody is. And how far? First act. 
อย่าเอาในขึ้นอยู่ในเส้นแรกพอถึงจะมีข้างบนทุกคน Oh I see what it looks like Well uh, I mean structurally not different but but for instance if you add extra pieces of business the custom might not work so maybe you're in a sense bound so you can't add No just the opposite you can add because you know the whole Well, the designers come back. You don't mean they don't come back. Well, they come every week. I have a run through every week. You know, every week, and then I go out with, I give notes to the actors, and I go out with the designers afterwards to talk about what we saw. And uh, I never have anybody come in who's not related to the production, because I hate people watching me work. I wouldn't want that either. You know, I try and get the designers to be around as much as possible, which makes it less of an event. Now, when you're working with Joe Papp and he walks in the door for a run through, I mean, you're really up the creek there because that just puts a lot of pressure on. Same with Steve. I mean, the bad thing about Steve is, I again, I, I wish he were around more because he has has material to write. He can't be around as much because then it's an event when he comes to watch, and that adds pressure to everybody. And uh, I think it's an event whenever the author comes. You know, not just him, but particularly him. I know when I go to other towns to see shows that I do. I mean, the tension—you can cut it with a knife when you walk in the room because you're the writer. And you're mostly just because you're not around. Suddenly, you're a new person and you're judging. You're coming to make judgments about what you see. That's hard for everyone, you know. I mean, the thing about the run-through is too—it's my work up there as well. I'm willing to have people see that messiness. There's reflection on me. Everyone should, you know. Be prepared for that. Yes. I don't know if you found this, but for me, especially on a youth play, right before we start to do the audience, there's always a press conference where the uh-huh. cast is around and says, this is going to work, so we're going to do it. Right. And I always feel that that in combination with how the audience responds to the play has a whole lot to do with whether it's a successful production. I couldn't agree more. And I, sometimes the magic, you say the right thing and everyone calms down, and sometimes you can't get through to them. Right. Well, my school. I'm of the. It's only a play school thing. I really am. I just sit down. I, I say, okay, everybody. What's the worst that's going to happen? You get terrible reviews. Okay. Now you know. It's the worst thing that's going to happen. Okay. You know. Just. You know. What are you so crazy about? You know. You think somebody's going to come on the stage and go to the head of the club because they don't like you? I mean, you know. So if you just sort of start, I do that too. I always have to remind myself. Look. It is just a play. I mean, it's not brain surgery. Nobody's going to die if it doesn't go well. And uh, so, you know, that's what I tend to do. Is um, ju- you know, of course, Broadway shows are different. I have had that mentality where people, well, it was their job, and they were making X number of dollars a week, and it was important to them that they would be making the X number of dollars a week for. You know, somebody said to me in previous, well, should I start going out for auditions? You know. Her, I wanted to pick the club up and hit. You know, <laughs> you know, but that was where her head was at. She didn't care about the show. She cared whether she should start going out for auditions or what. You know. What did you say? Oh well, this person I had a hard time with. I said, "You may. Yes, you probably should, but not for the reasons you think." You know? <laughs> Is she still on the show? Oh. Is she still on the show? Oh yeah. It goes. <laughs> Every week, it's something else. This mouth. Let me tell you. It's like some people just know your buttons too. You know, she, if I were to confront her, she would. She's 
so sweet, you know, but she knows my buttons, and she says, every week she says the wrong thing with a smile. And it, uh, <laughs> you have to sort of get the playwright to decide before you make that speech and say, I know this is life and death for you. No, I think you have to make it with the playwright there. I think the other thing is to not divide and conquer. I think the playwright should be there. Oh, absolutely. But when you say this, I've worked oh, with right. but if I made that speech and said it's really not important, we'll just get bad reviews, they would die. Well, no, I think I, I'm wrong. You know what you have to do? You have to say, I like what we have here. I mean, I think... But you've I, been your own playwright a lot. No, but I think, you know, you have to say to people, look, we did the best we could do, and we are pleased, we being the writers and the director. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all that matters. You know, I don't put a play up for the, you know, unless it's a star vehicle for Cheetah Rivera, you know, it's for the writer. It's the writer's play. He had the idea. He sat down and thought of it. And your job as a director is to put something up that you both can be really proud of. And that's what I say. And I genuinely almost always feel it, you know, that I'm proud of, of the work that was done. I'm, and the product will be the product. It's going to change. That's why it's the theater. If it were film, it would never change, you know. But... And that, that everyone should take pride, because I think the worst thing to do is to get into the situation in this business where you have to be, you know, you have to be affirmed by a critic to know that you're good or bad. And I think you've got to take that attitude that you're doing it for yourselves, and you're doing it because you want to do it, and you are proud of it, and you like it, and if, you know, John Simon likes it, fine. If he doesn't like it, that's fine, too, that you like it, you know. And uh, I think if you do that, and I think the other important thing is I think you have to have a sense of community with your company. And uh, if you, even if you don't have it, if you keep working towards it, that will also help galvanize. I've known actors who've hated what they've been doing, hated me, hated the show, and damn, they always come together at the last minute and are suddenly the nicest people the day for the curtain does that, you know, because that's all they have, you know? They can't go out and do it alone. They have to have everybody around them. They can't do it without your having helped them, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. They have to have words to speak, and they will, if they're professional, will give it their all. You know. But you're right. I mean, you can see that happen a lot. I think if you don't have a disaster in the rehearsal period, you should be worried. You know, <laughs> I think that if things go too smoothly, it's really a bad omen. I think you know. Get all the bad things out of the way fast, or whenever things will—it'll be better. You know, I think a little struggle is a good thing. I always worry when people tell me their show they're doing so great in rehearsal. I'm wishing them bad things soon, you know, <laughs> instead of later. If you found something going really smoothly, would you throw it? Oh no! I mean, I wouldn't create it, but no, I don't have to believe it. <laughs> There are many bad things that happen well on their own. I've never had a problem that way. No, I don't think so. I think I think maybe March of the well, no, March of the Falsettos was a different problem. But no, nothing has ever gone too smoothly. The the less the more workshoppy the thing, the less pressure it is. Obviously, there's always. Uh, not a director. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny because I worked with somebody who's fairly well known, and in fact, I lost her to another show, and that director called around and got such a bad report on her that he, at the last minute, didn't hire her, and I hired her. And I've never worked with a nicer, more cooperative person from day one. And this is a person who has a so-called bad reputation. And um, I just think it's about chemistry. You know, certain people get along with certain other people, and sometimes they don't. And I think you have to trust your instincts. I will talk to people directly about productions and say, I heard you had problems in this show. You know, and I would like to kind of chat with you about it because I think you're terrific and I'd like to hire you, but I'm nervous because I'm a, it's just a play kind of guy. And, you know, I don't want to have a lot of hassles because I just want to do this because it's fun and I think it's good. And I'll just confront them with it, you know. And nine times out of ten, they absolutely drop that somebody didn't like them or, you know, or unless they immediately go into this invective about the other person or whatever. And, you know, it's... Uh, it's not a bad thing to, to be up front, I think, in those situations. Um, but I do think that you have to, and it's not just actors, it's directors, I mean, it's other uh, designers, producers. It's just about confronting the situation immediately and making your feelings felt and fishing or cutting bait. If somebody bothers you, get out, you know, and, or have them get out. But no, I mean, you have to cast it I've cast people I know are going to be difficult because they're the best person for the role. And they're difficult, but as long as they deliver, it's when you hire somebody who's difficult and they don't deliver, forget it. You know, get rid of them. If they deliver, then it's all worth it. You know, it may not be fun, but it's worth it. If they take notes. Well, they better. I mean, that's not worth it. Directors of the movies well, it's a director's medium. The director has the final say. The director is... A lot of times the writers aren't even there on the set when the films are being shot. Directors rewrite. I mean, the one thing that can be said about the dramatist guild is that they protected their writers. You know, no, actors, and I've been in situations where I've been grateful for that because actors will ad-lib lines, they get the laugh, and they think that that's okay, you know. And, but there's no protection for a screenwriter that way. And in an editing room, it's the director's medium. You know, the director puts it together in the fashion that he chooses and can, you know, edit complete scenes away. And I... Um, you know, I've been in a situation where a friend of mine has written a film and she went out to look at it and just about passed out. I mean, she said that the actors ad-libbed their way completely through the movie and now the movie doesn't make any sense. Did the director let them ad-lib their way through it and now that, you know, his, she has to sit and write a narrative to put over the film to make it at least coherent and her name is on and she can't get it off. You know, it's just kind of, but that's the director's medium with no recourse. And I think uh, playwriting is, you know, about the writer, primarily, and uh, not all. I mean, there are a lot of directorial kinds of shows that are about the director, but I think real play, plays are about the writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. My
Again, this is Hope Clark, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members. Visit us on the web at www.sdcweb.org. This online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theatre is made through the words of the people who make theatre. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.